Good afternoon. It is currently 2.30 p.m. in Washington, D.C., a little bit of a stormy day out, uh, and we are gathered here to talk about uh, the Western Balkans and uh, specifically the uh, non-paper that has been going around uh, <clears throat> diplomatic circles in, recently, in Europe recently. The non-paper is a position paper that has not been claimed by any government, uh, interestingly enough, often the distributors of non-papers are <clears throat> eager to share their uh, ownership of them with, with governments that they're sending it to. The, a non-paper in European policy terms means an unofficial position piece for discussion and feedback. Uh, and this uh, document specifically makes uh, several surprising uh, suggestions, including effectively breaking up Bosnia-Herzegovina as a nation <clears throat> and folding Kosovo into Albania, among other things, uh, further formalizing uh, ethnic divisions in the Balkans <clears throat> and uh, moving territory uh, <clears throat> through diplomatic uh, terms, which is a bold move, move to say the least and in opposition to the Dayton Accords stated U.S. policy, stated European Union policy. Maybe that's why no one has claimed it. I am joined by Cole Davila and Noah Brewster today, as well as Eurasian Center intern Thomas Reidenauer, who has a specific interest in the Balkans. So, Cole, could you introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. Good to see you all again. And Noah? Hey, everyone. Good to be here again. And last, but certainly not least, thank you for being with us, Thomas. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, yes, I'm Thomas Reidenauer. I'm a, a Eurasia Center research intern. I'm uh, very interested in the Balkans and Eastern Europe. I uh, go to American University where I'm specializing in uh, Eastern Europe and Eurasia. And I'm very excited to be, uh, to be here. I've written a couple of articles on the Bosnian conflict and done a little bit of in-depth study in that area. And so I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So <clears throat> obviously any analysis of the Balkan regions begins with the breakup of the former Yugoslavia in the late 80s and early 90s and the, the Yugoslav wars that followed. And uh, Slovenia and Croatia broke off first. And then there was the war in Bosnia the uh, three-part conflict. Could you explain a little bit about how that happened, Thomas? Yeah, and so I think the it goes beyond kind of, or a little bit before the, the actual breakup of Yugoslavia. I think you can look back at the ethnic tensions to the times of the uh, Ottoman Empire or the Austro-Hungarian Empire and the um, the, the ethnic tensions of, of that region uh, during those times too, because it's such a small geographic space with such high uh, diversity of ethnicities in, in the region. And so it's uh, very, I think it's very important to look at the historical context as well. But, uh, but yeah, so after the death of uh, Joseph Tito, who was the uh, leader of Yugoslavia after World War, or basically after its creation, and um, after his death, he 
his main thing was unity and brotherhood and kind of bring together all these uh, nationalities and ethnicities and even would use force to suppress nationalism, which is why we didn't see as much of these ethnic tensions uh, during the time. But uh, after his death, the, the different republics of, the, of Yugoslavia were wanting to kind of had different ideas of how they wanted to proceed. It um, mainly was a, a Serbia wanted to maintain the, the Yugoslavia and maintain it kind of in a more central power under Belgrade. But the other powers, especially Croatia, Slovenia, they wanted more uh, independence and eventually uh, decided to declare independence, which sparked the kind of the conflict in, uh, in the region. Um, it was, uh, Slovenia, Croatia, then in September of 1991, uh, North Macedonia also um, also declared independence. Interestingly enough, Macedonia was the only one of the Yugoslav republics to be able to succeed uh, or declare independence without much violence, uh, which is uh, pretty interesting. The rest had to go through, uh, like the Slovenia had the 10 days war uh, and then the Croatian war that followed and then the um, Bosnian War and the, lastly the the Kosovo uh, conflict. So it's kind of a um, it, that's kind of how it went down in more of a in a brief in a brief sense. And then <clears throat> the war in Bosnia was particularly brutal. Um, you had you know, instances of ethnic cleansing, genocide, um, rape as a weapon of war. Um, the, the war in Bosnia was the most uh, violent of the, of the Yugoslav wars. And it was ended in 1995, effectively forcibly by the US and NATO. Uh, yes, yeah, the uh, Bosnian conflict or the Bosnian war specifically was filled with uh, Horrors, the Srebrenica massacre uh, was one of the was the largest uh, massacre since the Holocaust, um, led by the Republic of Srpska's leaders such as Radovan Karadžić uh, and Ratu Mladic, who were kind of the perpetrators of that. Um, and the siege of uh, Sarajevo was also one of the uh, longest sieges in uh, modern history. Um, they, they, I believe they call it like the 3000 day siege, but it was a uh, very deadly, very uh, brutal time that, uh, that really shocked the world. In my understanding with uh, Srebrenica was that the, the UN was there, but really couldn't do anything to protect the individuals. Is that uh, the case of what happened there? Yes, and what's interesting is that and kind of what's more, uh, I think, humiliating and shameful to the, to the UN is that uh, they had actually, the commander of the UN forces in that region actually declared uh, Sabrinsa and several other majority, Muslim majority areas as safe spaces. And um, so what had happened when the uh, town was surrounded by uh, Bosnian Serb uh, forces they came to this, uh, the people of the town came to this factory that was an abandoned warehouse or factory that was next door to the UN headquarters thinking that the UN would, would protect them. Um, 
and they didn't. And Rako uh, uh, Miladic was able to kind of march in and he separated the um, men from the women and elderly uh, and uh, massacred them right in front of like the eyes of the UN, which is, uh, which is terrible and abhorrent. Yeah, the, the Dutch forces there effectively had no capacity to protect the civilians. There, the the actual killings themselves took place over the course of three days um, in both uh, Putachari and Srebrenica. And you had the fake transfer of civilians out of Srebrenica by Serbian forces, as well as a column of tens of thousands of civilians trying to flee um, inward towards uh, uh, Bosniak held areas pinned in, pinned in on the sides by Serbian tanks and artillery and you know Serbian troops <clears throat> capturing and uh, killing uh, men and boys as that column tried to flee. And that was, that was the most horrifying um, uh, part of the war and <clears throat> a strong uh, incentive to get the international community to act, which resulted in the uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina that we know. Uh, the uh, government that is, was effectively dictated to the Bosnian people by the international community and uh, the influence that the UN and the OHR still has today. Um, would anyone like to explain the um, uh, ethnic uh, presidency of, of Bosnia? Oh uh, yeah, I can touch on that a bit. Uh, so Bosnia is actually one of the most ethnically diverse of the Balkan um, countries over there. And one of the reasons for this non-paper, as you mentioned in the introduction, is to split up uh, those ethnic divides and make uh, each country more ethnically based. So you've got uh, Serbs in Bosnia, Herzegovina, and you've got uh, Bosnia Muslims who actually uh, are one of the ones who have spoken most against this non-paper that's going around. And you also have um, some of the Croatian Catans in the uh, Northern part of Bosnia. So it is really ethnically divided and that adds to some of the tensions that are constantly present in uh, Bosnia and those other Balkan countries. Yeah, Bosnia seems like it's a, a weird not necessarily weird, but a, a unique mix of populations, whereas, you know, Croatia and Slovenia, um, those countries are, you know, at least on the surface, nation states where you have that population ruling the territory, historically ruled by that population. Same thing with Serbia um, or Albania. But in Bosnia, it seemed like the international community didn't really know what to do. And so just kind of drew all drew these various different lines as best they could along ethnic lines. And it seems like that's how they got um, Republica uh, Srebrica. I apologize if I'm butchering that pronunciation. But um, yeah, it seems like no one really knew how to draw up Bosnia. And so I wonder if that drawing of ethnic lines may have prompted continued um, conflict since it 
it's not a permanent solution to have such a diverse group that kind of hates each other in one country. Yeah, I think that um, the the country before was kind of divided up into the Republic of Srpska and um, the uh, another uh, another regional part, another administrative section. And I think that um, in any case, I think dividing up a country, especially one as uh, a region at, divided up into ethnic lines, is going to be an almost an impossible task because even within the uh, uh, the Srpska Republic, there's going to be Bosnian villages or uh, Bosnian Muslim villages and stuff like, and things like that. And I think that that's uh, what was one of the reasons for this ethnic cleansing of especially uh, Bosnian Muslims in the region is because they, the uh, leaders of the, of the Serbska Republic, especially the president Radovan Krasnodar, believed in the purity of, of greater Serbia and the, the idea of keeping uh, Serbska Serbian and, um, and I think that, so I think trying to make a perfect division of Bosnia uh, and the Balkans in general into pure uh, ethnic lines is going to be an impossible task. And I think that, um, which is why I, I see the, I, uh, I see that the non-paper and their idea of furthering breaking down the, the country into more uh, ethnic based lines, I could see that being uh, fairly problematic as well as sparking new uh, tensions and kind of bringing up the tensions of the old time, um, which is why I think that, um, which is a, a reason where I, why I think Bosnia uh, and the Bosnian majority, I think, are uh, very um, against this sort of idea and against the idea of breaking down the country even more, especially since they're in talks with uh, the United or the uh, EU, uh, as well as some of the other Balkan nations are, um, as, and NATO as well. And I think that those, the EU and NATO have both kind of said that uh, before they can proceed with their uh, with their admissions or um, application process, they would have to uh, more, they would have to show more uh, effort in trying to build and uh, reform uh, peace between their peoples. And this kind of, uh, I believe, throws a wrench into that. Yeah, and I. I definitely think with this uh, non-paper going around, it's kind of behind on the times because with the globalization of the 21st century and the times we're in now, almost every country has uh, ethnic mixing and a lot of different ethnicities within each country, pretty much in Europe or even America, anything. So it's really interesting how they're thinking now to split it up on ethnic lines like this. And I don't know if they've thought about all the problems it could cause. Yeah, and we've seen like sectarian um, divisions in a lot of other countries too. Uh, like in Lebanon, they have a very strict division uh, makeup of who um, of their like cabinet based on mainly religion, um, and other countries of too based on ethnicity or religion. Um, and I think that those are examples of again how um, it can cause inefficiencies and. Uh, divisions within within that country and kind of perpetuate those uh, divisions. And I think that um, another thing that's interesting is that uh, the right now with this non-paper, it's uh, the the main debate is about who sent it or who authored it. Um, and 
there's a lot of people that are looking at the Slovenian prime minister, um, even though he has denied and the Slovenian government have denied it, but uh, Janusz Janša, uh, they believe that he is trying to um, gain favor with European powers such as Hungary, um, or like Viktor Orban in Hungary, uh, uh, Duda in Poland, even uh, some large political leaders, right-winged political leaders in like France, like Marine Le Pen, um, who believe in uh, a, I guess, a, a, an ethnic cleansing of, of Europe, keeping Europe European, keeping Hungary Hungarian, that sort of thing, where they're very against uh, immigration and um, this kind of cosmopolitan, multicultural Europe that we're beginning to see. And so um, there's, a, there's a debate that that's one of the reasons for this non-paper and uh, the support for a more um, ethnically divided is to uh, may, is to gain favor from countries and presidencies that are uh, important or that believe in that too. The the concepts expressed in the paper certainly very strongly challenge the concept of uh, you know a an inclusive Europe, a Europe that is uh, respectful of religious and ethnic minorities that governs based on <clears throat> democracy rather than <clears throat> you know, the authoritarian uh, Republic of uh, Serbska, I think is safe to say. And Yanis <clears throat> uh, Jansa uh, will be uh, taking the, the presidency of the, the Council of Europe starting, I believe, July 1st. Um, does this uh, <clears throat> place the Slovenian presidency of the, the EU in any, any risk, or does it um, reduce the image of Slovenia in uh, European eyes, if this is their paper? I think that it depends on the nation. Like I said, uh, some of the more right-winged uh, led countries like Poland, like Hungary, um, might support uh, their kind of efforts, especially their uh, efforts that are especially with rhetoric that's like uh, Islamophobic or anti-immigrant um, and anti-refugee. I think those could be supported um, in that sense. Uh, but I think that you might see major opposition from other, um, other countries, especially ones that were uh, more involved in the uh, peacemaking process and the, of the Bosnian, um, in the Yugoslav wars and stuff. And so they might see this as a, um, as a way to kind of bring up old, uh, well, bring uh, to kind of reopen the scar that's uh, that's kind of developed in in the region, and I think that there uh, that it could definitely hurt, especially as the the EU has publicly like denounced uh, this plan that um, that that could be uh, um, that could be seen as a, a an issue for their presidency in the future. I don't. To me, it seems like it, it may cause some question, but since they have um, denied that this is their their document, I think that it will kind of just be a question in the background, but I don't think it'll cover up or be that impactful. And even then, the, the stronger right-wing populism that Europe is seeing is sort of the counter to the, the years of more liberal policies and more friendly to immigration, that sort of thing. I think that that increase in, pop in populism from the right will kind of overshadow any criticism from the left. So I think 
the benefit or not necessarily benefit, but the support for something like this may be about the same to me as something as the more left-wing um, encounter and arguments against something like this. Um, but I think at the end of the day, since this is still just kind of up the air as to who wrote this sort of thing or who wrote this thing, um, will kind of limit the impact that this will have on EU relations and the countries in the area as a whole. Um, I could definitely, I could definitely see that, but I could also see it being um, because there's no uh, specific person that's taking credit or specific government. I could also see it being used as a boogeyman for for, uh, for further uh, conflicts. I the the uh, president, the Kosovo president, Vojtasmani, uh, uh, believes that it's a Serbian uh, document. Or there are some people that believe it's uh, Milad Dodik, who's a uh, Serbian, an ethnic Serbian or an ethnic Serbian nationalist uh, politician in Bosnia. And so I think people can use that as a, um, as a way to point fingers at, at other people to fuel up conflict um, if they, uh, as they, as they wish, because there is no one to claim it and no, um, no specific author or no known author. Yeah, and going along with that, with how it's, uh kind of being said and stipulated that it is a Serbian made document. Uh, you got to kind of think about how Serbia has had ties with Russia in the past. And it makes you think, do you think maybe um, Russia might have a say in what's been in this non-paper going around and maybe they're trying to push for a more powerful Serbia and have a more powerful ally, or if maybe it's none of that at all? I think that the um, one of the main, like, I think Russia has historically been a very major power in that region, but, um, and I think that Serbia has been one of its lasting allies, especially as we've seen uh, countries join NATO, such as Montenegro recently, and, uh, and applications from other countries in the region as well. Um, and I, I think that, um, but I think that the main reason that Serbia wishes to have a Russian ally is to uh, prevent Kosovo from gaining independence and uh, from or Kosovo from leaving uh, Serbia, and so I think that a that if this agreement were to become from Serbia, I don't think that the uh, the Bosnian or the uh, I'm sorry the Kosovo um, issue would have been given to uh, to Albania, and I think that if that were to happen, then Serbia might not need Russia as much of an ally when that issue is settled. I think they need a major world power uh, and a major power in the UN, such as Russia, to um, to prevent recognition of the of Kosovo and, and um, prevent their gaining independence formally um, as a main part of their alliance. I think also that um, Russia is trying to prevent any more countries uh, joining NATO and. To a lesser extent, the EU. They've publicly stated that they don't see an issue with nations joining the EU. But of course, once a nation joins the EU, they have to take EU policy or EU stances on Russia, which may include implementation of uh, of sanctions and uh, travel sanctions as well, and things like that. So um, there are, of course, different things with that. But uh, again, by destabilizing the region, Russia does prevent them from uh, countries like Bosnia moving into the next stages of EU membership or NATO membership uh, as well. And the other <clears throat> thing vis-a-vis -vis Russia that this uh, non-paper um, promotes is the concept of territorial change by diplomatic agreement. 
which Russia would be incredibly interested in in regions um, such as Crimea, Eastern Ukraine, uh, South Ossetia, Abkhazia, where Russia has made claims based on uh, historical and ethnic um, identity and has de facto control on the ground, but is uh, a diplomatic um, disagreement with the West and Russia would love to see formalized if possible. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think they also that yeah, yes that they can definitely see the benefit of that as well. Um, what's interesting though is they also have been historically against um, uh, UN involvement in in just in general um, because they believe in strongly in like the idea of uh, sovereignty and especially when things like. Um, uh, issues like sanctions and things, uh, they've been uh, historically against that, but I can definitely see that if something is pro, if a, if a uh, thing is some, if, ooh, if a legislation or something is pro-Serbian uh, expansion or pro-Russian expansion, I can definitely see them supporting it. Um, because like you said, I think they're trying to justify their own expansion in different parts of the world, as well as preventing the expansion of um, Western organizations like the EU or um, or NATO. Yeah, this is certainly a non-European approach to the problem. Very um, pragmatic. I would even go so far as to say cynical uh, in uh, making Bosnia effectively not a state anymore. And the U.S. has come out against it, um, both in a uh, statement by uh, Ned Price uh, earlier um, in April, as well as two days ago. Uh, the the April statement, uh, in a very Biden uh, <laughs> Biden esque uh, manner, says that the approach should be working towards uh, greater governance and lack of corruption. Uh, there have been uh, scholars of the Balkans who say that, that one of the key issues is weakness of institutions, weakness of the judiciary, high levels of corruption that result in poverty and uh, negative lived experiences that then result in ultranational, uh, ultranationalistic leaders like uh, Dodik who uh, you know, make their public persona Trumpian uh, based in, you know, conflict with, with other entities. Uh, do you think that's the case, Thomas? Yeah, I can definitely see um, that happening because I believe that there's always been uh, a distrust and of uh, the different ethnic minorities because as we've, or, and, and uh, any of the ethnic groups in the region, because historically they've been, um, there have been acts of oppression by um, by almost all of them. If you look back into the uh, Cro uh, the Croatia when it uh, had, ooh, was it was a part of a puppet government of the Germans during World War II when they um, took part in a uh, massacres of native Serbs. And then of course during the Bosnian War you have the, the genocide of Serbs, um, of Bosniaks committed by uh, Serbian and Croats. Um, and even before that, it was uh, persecution by Germans by the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Before that, it was persecution by Turks during the Ottoman Empire. So I believe that there's a um, definitely a, uh, 
a sense of distrust on the different ethnicities or in any government administration that's led by someone of a different ethnicity. And I believe that until those um, sorts of uh, biases and suspicions and distrust can continue um, are, are stopped, I don't see there being a uh, sustainable piece or uh, improvement of institutions and strengthening of institutions uh, because there will always be that distrust in the area. I believe that the corruption thing also has another major aspect in that if the Bosnian government can um, can can crack down on corruption of its uh, government and its institutions, I believe that might help to bring more trust uh, to the area. I also think that um, another thing that's important to note is that even with the success of the um, of the uh, Yugoslav Tribunal that the UN and the um, the Hague instituted, um, which has brought to justice uh, many uh, perpetrators, including uh, Radovan Krasić, uh, uh, Ratko Mladic, um, and even for the cause. Uh, Kosovo conflict, uh, the former president of Serbia, Slavon Milosevic, um, there are still a lot of perpetrators that are uh, haven't been caught, and even some that are living in the same areas that they um, did that they were from. And so I believe that has a, a definitely a negative uh, outlook on the um, a negative impact on the community members, especially those who have suffered under those people, and they're still seeing them. Uh, in their normal positions, whether it be political positions or just uh, positions in the community. And so, um, excuse me, that could also bring uh, distrust and um, and to the to the community. Yeah, the the echoes of the war uh, ring through the Balkans today. Um, and that way, as you said, uh, in, in public memory, in neighbors who fought neighbors, and the continued frailty of Bosnia doesn't seem to be something that will change in the near future, uh, even if this is not the way forward and has been roundly criticized by political leaders across Europe. Uh, do we have any final thoughts before we uh, head out uh, of this episode? Uh, I just wanted to throw in there and say, I definitely don't think that this non-paper will have any real action to it, at least any time in the near future. I mean, all the countries in the Balkans came out against it, and some said they'd even receive it. So I definitely think that it's just a thing to get people going, and I don't think anything will actually really come, up with, come out of it, at least in the near future. Um, I would just like to say that I think that um, I think that you're right, and I think that the conflict, even though it um, it may seem like an old uh, an old conflict to us, but it's only in the relative scheme of things. It's very early. Um, it's very recent, uh, and very much on the memories of those people who lost loved ones um, and have experienced it. And so I think that. Um, that we need to take in that into account when looking at uh, the peace process and that it, it is a slow process. And um, 
it that continuous change uh, might, especially when it comes to borders, especially if it's uh, from large like the UN institutions if, um, or international institutions, if they are the ones kind of breaking down borders, I think that will just increase the tensions. I believe that if we are to see a lasting peace, it should come from uh, the people of Bosnia, the people of Croatia, Serbia, um, and definitely come from a more grassroots uh, interpersonal level and build up from there. And thank you for that insight, Thomas. And I think we're going to call the episode here. To our listeners, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in again. Uh, in a couple of days, we will come out with our next episode on U.S. relationships in East Asia. And in the meantime, I wish you a good morning and good afternoon, good evening, uh, wherever you are in the world listening to us. And thank you for tuning in again. Stay safe and stay well, everyone. Thank you. Bye.